you have your Bibles with you tonight, we're going to be in the book of Hosea. So I'm excited about uh, entering into the final books of the Bible. We are now entering into what has been called the minor prophets. Uh, They're not called minor because they're less important. They're called minor typically because they're shorter and they focus on a main point. Where the major prophets, they're going to have oracles to the nations. There's a lot more uh, broad prophecies that they're going to present. Uh, the minor prophets are kind of zoomed in, focused on particular things. And this one, Hosea is kind of famous. So Hosea is basically the, uh, the story of the, the prophet and the prostitute. And it is an illustration of God's love for the lost and this uh, this one kind of unique phrase, and that is that God wants you back. So a lot of other people in the world or relationships you may have, you may come to the end of those, right? And Maybe you've heard the words from people, I don't ever want to see you again. I don't want to have nothing to do with you. Maybe you've experienced that in family or in friendships or in relationships. But the message of Hosea is God saying, I want you back. Now, it doesn't mean that our choices don't have consequences, right? Choices always come with an abundance of consequences, but... The consequences you endure in life are not indicative of God's love for you. You see, consequences are indicative of the choices we've made. I'll make a choice and a consequence may enter my life. And, and sometimes we erroneously will look at that consequence and we'll say, God, don't you love me? And it has nothing to do with God's love. It has a lot to do with uh, our choices. God's love is his mercy expressed to us all. And it's really illustrated well in the book of Hosea. So the general outline of the book, just so you guys kind of have an idea where we're going, you have the illustrations of unfaithfulness to God. That's going to be the first three chapters of Hosea. It'll probably take us too long. And then we're going to look at how the unfaithfulness has changed the people's relationship to God. That's an important thing to recognize. One of the most important things to recognize as a person in need of salvation is that we're off the beaten path and we need salvation. If you can recognize that you're not in a right relationship with God, then you've reached the first crossroad wherein you can change that, right? So they're going to recognize this relationship changing. The next section we'll see chapter 4 to chapter 10 are the iniquities of God's people so he's going to go over their iniquity and this is something you'll even see in the book of Revelation it's very important for us to understand the message in the book of Revelation is this and they would not repent and they would not repent you have this this beautiful thing Jason saw when as he did his last study Uh, through Revelation and Kimberly. And one of the things he saw was the two phrases of 
of the wrath of God that are used in Revelation. The first one is, is thumos, and thumos is like fire. And so that's a description of the different... Je- is that water? It is. Oh, look at you. In a sippy cup. One day I'll be grown up to have a, my very own non-sippy cup. Hopefully it'll stay there. Okay. So, thumos, it's this idea, right? Flash fire, okay? Picture flash fire. And so, the judgments that we see in Revelation, one of the things God lays out for us in throughout the scripture is, when you're off track, I'm going to send you a message, you're off track. And that's the example of thumos. But then, when you don't repent, don't repent, don't repent, after thumos comes orge. And orge is is it's not a flash it's just a settled point there's a settled point where there's you're you're no longer god's not calling you no more it's too late and that's a picture of orge if you get to the end of the seals or the end of the trumpets or the end of the bulls you'll see that word used and then usually a cataclysmic event that looks like a world ender right like that's that's the end Man not repenting, not repenting, not repenting, God's ultimate judgment. So the book of Hosea lays out for us, look, there are iniquities and there are things that should draw your attention, right? That's one of the things that the word of God does for us. It is a mirror. If we look into the mirror of the word of God, it should show us who we are. Agreed? And then if I know who I am, all I have to do is come to the Lord and repent the The gospel of Mark declares that Jesus Christ commands all men everywhere to repent and believe. So I repent, right? I turn away from my sin and I turn toward my Savior, right? So the second section in Hosea is going to focus on the iniquity of the people and their lack of repentance. And then finally, the last part of Hosea, the the, probably the the most beautiful part of it all, Hosea 11 to 14 is the invitation of God's love, where God promises restoration, particularly to the nation of Israel, right? Because this is the focus. Hosea is a contemporary of Isaiah. Uh, The northern kingdom still exists. So you have the, the capital of Samaria and Israel to the north, and you have the capital of Jerusalem and Judah to the south. During Hosea's period uh, as a as a prophet of God, so let's jump in. In uh, chapter one, verse one, it begins. It gives us the introduction. The word of the Lord that came to Hosea, the son of uh, Biri, in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, Hezekiah, kings of Judah, and in the days of Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel. So it's going to be Jeroboam the second. He's the last legitimate king. Of the northern kingdom you have other kings but basically you have a king and then somebody assassinates him and a king and somebody poisons him and a king and there's just all this drama going on at the last days of israel but the last king that hosea recognizes is jeroboam the second and his word is going to be just like isaiah's okay it's going to be a word of warning to judah not to make the mistakes of Israel. You guys with me? 
So if you remember the history of Israel, there came a point in the history of Israel where they divided. At the end of Solomon's reign, his son was a bit of a knucklehead, and he wanted to raise the taxes on the people. So the people rebelled. Ten tribes split. They became Israel. Two tribes became Judah. Judah and Benjamin. Now, it's just a way for you to think about it, because the Bible tells us people who wanted to worship the Lord moved south because in the south you have the temple in the south you have the place where where every Jewish person is supposed to go to worship in the north you had no good kings all wicked kings and really a, a central focus on idolatry so in the north you have idolatry so all the people in the ten tribes to the north who wanted to follow God moved south we've experienced something like that recently right all the people who went out of california where they go all right yeah so no, nobody else can ever find a house now so they all came oh well good jordan and tiffany are gone so they don't know i said that so anyways all those people came right and so they but the, what are they fleeing they're fleeing all the nonsense of california right so the same thing happened in the ancient days. There's no such thing. I, I just want you to clear your mind of the concept that there's 10 lost tribes of Israel. That's an untruth. All the tribes are represented in both tribes. The people who didn't want to worship God, two tribes went north. The people who wanted to worship God north went south. Okay? They weren't like chained to their house, unable to leave. So this was, this was how things settled out. And so Hosea, he's going to talk about the, the destruction that's coming in the north as a warning to the south. Now, if you know your history, you know about 150 years before the Babylonians took Judah and they went into exile, the northern kingdom went into exile to the Assyrians. So the warning to Judah was, hey, these guys, they're, they're idolatrous. They, and, and the picture of idolatry in the Bible is a picture of an unfaithful wife, hence Hosea's illustration. So the Lord is saying, look, don't be like the unfaithful wife. Judah, you don't have, this doesn't have to be your future. This is the word from Isaiah and, and, and uh, uh, Hosea as well. So Judah does not uh, bear the warning doesn't respond to the warning and we have the exile of the southern kingdom 150 years later so hosea is going to be during these kings basically hosea you guys all kind of are familiar with his name you're just not familiar with the hosea part uh you know a guy in the bible named joshua so joshua's name is yahweh yahoshua which means God is my salvation. Hosea means salvation. So this is the name of this prophet who has a unique call of God, right? I'm sure when, when he was coming up as a prophet, he was, had all these dreams of all the great things that he would get to do. And maybe it wasn't exactly what God called him to, right? In verse 2. So when the Lord first spoke through Hosea, the Lord said to Hosea, Go and take to yourself a wife of whoredom 
and have children of whoredom, for the land commits great whoredom by forsaking the Lord. Now, oftentimes, it's, it's funny to me because you guys have all heard me say, I make a distinction between Old Testament prophets, and I would say there are no prophets today. Now, I don't mean that people can't prophesy. I'm just saying there's no prophets. Why do I say that? Because a prophet had authority to stand before the people and say, thus says the Lord. And the people were expected to respond to what the prophet said. And if they didn't, whatever warning the prophet brought was going to come upon the people. The Bible tells us the last prophet was John the Baptist, who made the way for who? Jesus, the Messiah. Now, the world is full of people who are false who want authority in your life. And so they'll declare themselves to be a prophet to you in the hopes that you will obey them or send them money or do any number of other things for them. But the thing that, that made someone a prophet was a call of God. So they had a face-to-face meeting with God. All the prophets allude to it or write about it, and you'll, you'll see that through them. And then God often had them do really unique things, right? You guys remember Isaiah walking around naked for a while? You remember Ezekiel laying on one side in his underwear? You remember him cooking meals over dung? And so all of these things, all of the things that God called to the prophets to do were illustration so they could see something and they would be aghast oh my gosh what what is this guy doing and then the prophet would stop and say the point of the illustration so for Hosea his life his wife and children become the illustration that God's going to use to the people and so God wants the people of Israel to understand how unfaithful they are to him. So he calls on Hosea to do something that you you can't imagine. He said, Hosea, go, go marry an unfaithful woman. Make her your wife and have have children of unfaithfulness. And these children are going to be a sign and your wife and the relationship that you have with her through the book is going to be a sign of God's heart and desire for his people. So it becomes an illustration that people can understand. When you and I talk about unfaithfulness to God, it's, we, we, we don't put the same weight. So God says, listen, I want you to really understand how much I don't like unfaithfulness. So he says, how much do you, um, how much do you admire unfaithfulness in a husband or wife? Nobody's look, nobody says, you know, I'm, I want to pick for myself an unfaithful husband or wife, right? Nobody's going for that. Nobody wants to walk down that road because we don't value that, right? We think that's despicable behavior. Well, God wants the people of Israel to understand how he sees their unfaithfulness to him, how he sees their idolatry. Now, a lot of times people have a problem with Hosea. I'm going to tell you why I don't have a problem with Hosea. They come to Hosea and they say, there's no way God would ask his prophet to marry a prostitute. And my answer is, are you, have you read any of the prophets? Are you outside your mind? I guarantee that's something God would do. But usually they want to point to Leviticus. Now in Leviticus 21.7, it says this, 
They shall not marry a, a prostitute or a woman who has been defiled. Neither shall they marry a woman divorced from her husband. For the priest is holy to God. The commandments in Leviticus about not marrying a, a, a prostitute or an unfaithful woman is to the priest. So the priest is supposed to be above that. In, in Leviticus 21.9, And the daughter of any priest, if she profanes herself by whoring, profanes her father, she shall be burned with fire. That's pretty harsh, right? He goes on and says in Leviticus 21.13, And he shall take a wife in her virginity, a wife uh, or a divorced woman or a woman who has been defiled or a prostitute, these he shall not marry. But he shall take as his wife a virgin of his own people. That's a priest. There's no scripture like that for the prophet or anybody else. The priest was not to marry a prostitute. So this is not God asking the prophet to do something that his law said they could not do. This is an example of God saying to his prophet, your life is going to be an illustration of my grace and mercy. And sometimes maybe we think, well, I don't know if I want to be an example of that. But just so you know, you all are an example of God's grace and mercy. So this is the unique call. So, so I fully believe that he went out and married Gomer, Gomer, is the woman's name, which I know does not sound like a lovely name. So I don't think anybody's out uh, uh, naming their daughters Gomer anymore. <clears throat> he goes out and finds uh, Gomer and makes Gomer his wife. Listen to what happens. Uh, verse 3, so he went out and took Gomer, the daughter of Deblaim, and she conceived and bore him a son. That's the last time it's going to say that phrase. The so last time it's going to say she conceived and bore him a son. So be aware of that as we go on, as we move our way through. Now, so that begins, this whole illustration begins with a command from God to his prophet, go marry a prostitute. And, and then God says, I want you to love her. So he's going to go, he, he marries Gomer, and then you have the trial of the children. When we look at the trial of the children, there's several things that we want to be able to see from them. There's several things prophetically that God is speaking through the children that are born, their names, and what's going to come next. The first one is revenge against the house of Jehu. It says in verse 3, she conceived and bore him a son. And the Lord said to him, call his name Jezreel. For in just a little while, I will punish the house of Jehu for the blood of Jezreel. And I will put an end to the kingdom of the house of Israel. And on that day, I will break the bow of Israel in the valley of Jezreel. So this first son is named Jezreel. And the valley of Jezreel is where we're going to see the northern kingdom collapse. In that same valley of Jezreel, we saw, if you remember, all the way back to Elijah. You guys remember Elijah? When Elijah had his victory with the 400 priests of Baal, and he runs into Jezebel, and Jezebel says she's going to kill him the next day. 
And so Elijah takes off running. You remember, he's, he runs, and then an angel meets him when he runs out of strength and gives him some angel food cake. And he runs 40 days on that angel food cake. You guys think I'm crazy. You should read your Bible. He runs on the strength of an angel food cake, and he finds a cave somewhere, and he runs into the cave. Like Elijah says, I'm done. I'm finished. I don't want to do this anymore. And the Lord comes to him. You guys remember the story, right? And the Lord says, Elijah, why are you here? And he, he shows himself in the, uh, a mighty tornado. And, but the scripture says the Lord wasn't in the wind. And he shows him the lightning. And the Lord wasn't in the light. And then he, said, he speaks to him in a still, small voice. And it says the Lord was in the still, small voice. You remember? And then he said to him again, what are you doing here? It's not, it's not time to hide, Elijah. You've got to get out of the cave. One of the things he had Elijah do was go find Elisha and give Elisha the mantle of Elijah. And Elisha would take over as prophet for, for Elijah. The other thing he would do is anoint a man named Jehu to bring justice to the northern kingdom for the sins of Ahab and Jezebel. And so Jehu is going to be God's tool to bring judgment to Ahab and Jezebel. Now, do you guys know sometimes God uses people who aren't believers, aren't followers of, of Yahweh to accomplish his purpose, right? The Babylonians conquer the, the Israel. They weren't followers of Yahweh. They, they were just someone that God used to bring that, that judgment. And so in the same way, Jehu did this. Now it says in the, in the valley of Jezreel, Jehu is going to deliver Ahab. Jehu is going to deliver Jezebel. The scripture prophesied that the dogs would lick up her blood. If you remember when Jehu came, Jezebel tried to doll up her face and say, oh, look, man, I'm, I'll, I'm happy to serve as your queen too. And uh, she ends up chucked out the window of the tower, right? And the Bible says she lands on the street below and the dogs lick up her blood. Just exactly what the Bible said was going to happen. And so here, the Lord is saying, now there's going to be judgment on Jehu. Because you guys know when we study Daniel, you have the kingdoms of men are always rising and falling, right? And, and most of the time, those kingdoms of men are not holy, Right? They just are, one is just becomes as corrupt as the one before. And they fall and they fall and they all fall down. We see this over and over and over again. So Jehu, he, he maybe starts out with great promise, but he doesn't end that way. And so God says, now those same words that were brought against Ahab and Jezebel are going to be brought against Jehu. So this first child is going to see the fall of the northern kingdom in the valley of Jezreel. And this is the prophetic meaning behind the name. Hey, he's going to be a part. Jezreel means God sows or God scatters. Same kind of idea, right? When you take the seed and you throw the seed, you're scattering the seed. So this is what, it, what his name means, Jezreel. Now you can read about... Uh, you can read about some of these things in the book of Kings. So I want to say like 2 Kings, 
I'll, I'll make sure by next week. I want to say 2 Kings 14 to 20 is the period of time when Hosea was, was living out his uh, illustration before, before the, the kings of Israel and of Judah. So then the next thing we see in verse 6 says, She conceived again. Do you see it? She conceived again and bore a daughter. There's just one thing missing in that phrase. She did not, it doesn't say, now I'm not saying, I can't say for certain. I'm just saying it's interesting that it's not there for the last two children. Go and marry a, a woman, an unfaithful woman, and then your children are going to be children of unfaithfulness too. And so you have the picture of the unfaithfulness of the people in worshiping other gods other than Yahweh. And you have the picture of the unfaithfulness of a wife who, who presents to Hosea children of unfaithfulness. And, you, and there's more to see, right, in the names that he provides them. The second thing we see, first we saw the revenge against the house of Jehu and his child uh, Jezreel. Now we're going to see the removal of the northern kingdom. So she conceived and bore a daughter, and the Lord said to him, Call her name Lo Ruchamah. So Lo is the Hebrew word for no, and Ruchamah is mercy. There's an incredible scripture that I. I love, I, I tell you guys all the time, when I study, I, I like to use five different translations, and sometimes the way they say it in one translation, I love better than the other way, and, uh, and it's helpful, right? Language is kind of fluid, so it's a little bit of a struggle to get exactly the idea of cross in just one translation. There's no such thing as one perfect one. You guys just know there's one super imperfect one, right? I, I tell you all the time, don't buy that one. If you don't know what it is, you can come ask me. I'll be happy to tell you. Okay, so Lamentations 3, 22 and 23 in the King James Version. I love it. In the King James, it says this. It is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed. Just think about that for a minute. Sometimes when we think about Mercy, we have a, a, a bad idea about it. Like we think maybe, we think sometimes we don't deserve something. Listen, if, if you don't deserve something and you don't get it, that's justice. However, if you're guilty and you don't get it, that's mercy. We understand the difference. It's important. And so the scripture tells us in Lamentations, it is of the Lord's mercy that we are not consumed. So if God says no mercy, what's that mean? Then you're going to be consumed because we're guilty. It's not a question of am I guilty before God? Romans chapter 1 tells us all men everywhere on the planet are guilty before God. All men are without excuse before the holy God. So it's his mercy that we're not consumed. And so here, to name this child no mercy is to make this call. And we'll see in, in a moment as we, as we develop the idea a little bit further. Uh, Lamentations again says, It is of the Lord's mercies we are not consumed, 
because his compassion, his love does not fail. They are new every morning. Great is his faithfulness. It doesn't often say great is our faithfulness. It says great is his faithfulness. We have a tendency to be unfaithful, but praise God in his love, there's mercy. Amen? And that mercy is what carries us through. But here, this child, he says, call her name no mercy, for I will no more have mercy on the house of Israel to forgive them at all. You need to understand the difference between Israel and Judah is when Israel falls, that's it. They're gone. There's no return. When Israel is destroyed, the Assyrian army leaves behind the poorest of the poor of Israel and they bring in a, a drop off an intermix of all the other poor, poor countries they had conquered. Assyria was a very cruel conquering people. And so the poor of Israel married the poor of whoever was dropped there. They didn't have a good foundation and so they developed their own scriptures and they built their own temple in a place called Samaria. And the Bible says the people that came from there were called Samaritans. And the Samaritans, the Jews, did not look at as brothers at all, did they? In fact, they didn't even want to go through there. It was Jesus who said, you know what? We need to go through Samaria. You remember for the woman at the well? Because great is his compassion. It's in his mercies that we are not consumed. So the message to the prophet is, I'm done, Israel, the northern kingdom is gone. The northern kingdom is going to be destroyed. I shall have no mercy. And the next thing we see is the rescue of the southern kingdom. Now, if you know history, you know when the Assyrian army came and conquered the north, they left for a while, but eventually they came back for the south. You guys remember that fellow named Shennacherib? Shennacherib? So it says in verse 7, But I will have mercy on the house of Judah, and I will save them by the Lord their God. I will not save them by bow or by sword or by war or by horses or by horsemen. So Hosea says the Lord will have mercy on Judah. And when the Assyrian army marches on Judah, if you remember the story, the people did not fight at all. God delivered them. Do you remember how? The, the angel of the Lord. The angel of the Lord, and I would say the angel of the Lord is Jesus Christ. And what did he do? He routed the armies of the Assyrians. The Bible says the angel of the Lord killed 185,000 soldiers by themselves. By himself. When Ezekiel talks about the defeat of Gog and Magog, how does it happen? God delivers the nation by himself. Revelation 19, when it talks about the battle of Armageddon, Jesus Christ returns, and what happens? He defeats the armies, how? 
by himself. Revelation 20, when it talks about the battle of Gog and Magog again, how are the people delivered? By God himself. This is a common theme throughout scripture that God will deliver his people. He says right here, look, I'm going to deliver Judah and I'm not going to need any of your help. Now, before you feel too sorry for the north, the north heard these prophecies too, and not these only, Isaiah's as well. What could the north have done? They could have repented. That would have been a good one. Might have saved the north, maybe. What else could they do? Go south. What do you mean? Well, you guys remember way back in Joshua, there was another prostitute. You remember her name? Rahab, right? Yeah, Rahab. And so what did the soldiers tell Rahab? The soldiers told Rahab, Rahab said, I know you're going to conquer us. Jericho's going to fall to you guys. So what did the soldiers tell her to do? Put a scarlet thread out the window of your house and how many people would be saved? Everybody who's in the house. Isn't that the same way Jesus saves us today? Everyone who is in Christ Jesus, the scarlet thread of redemption, the message to the prophet to the north, hey, you're done. God's, your goose is cooked. No good, no good. They wouldn't listen to the prophets no matter how many times they came. In fact, they call the prophets the troublers of the nation. So God says, I'm done. That nation's going away. But you can move south. I'm going to save Judah. Do you hear it? Like if God was to say, just, just an example, don't go crazy on me. If God was going to say, look, I've had it with Buell, so Buell's done. We're going to wipe it out, but I'm going to save Filer. You can stay here if you want. Yeah. Or, or we pack up a trailers and move and find some field somewhere to park, right? The point is God tells the people where they can go to be saved. Doesn't he? You can go. The Judah I will save. It's not like he's going to look at him and say, hey, you were in the north. You, you can't be saved. You can't come here. That's not how it is. Why does God tell them where it's safe and where it's not? To move his people from the source of idolatry to the source of worship. And that's, that's what the Lord is trying to do. Okay, next in verse 8, we're going to see the rejection of the northern kingdom. So when she had weaned no mercy, she conceived and bore a son. You see what's missing again. And the Lord said, call his name Lo-Ami, not my people. That's an interesting name to be named as a child, no? It would almost be like naming him not mine. No? Name him lo ami, not my people. What's the prophetic significance? He says, uh, and the Lord said, call his name not my people, for you are not my people, and I am not your God. That's a rejection of the northern kingdom. 
the end of the northern kingdom of Israel. Now, is that God's final word? In Romans chapter 9, verse 21, beginning at verse 21, there won't be any reference for you on the screen, so you have to find Romans all by yourself. Romans 9, 21, I just want you to listen to what Paul writes. He says, has the potter no right over the clay to make out of the same lump one vessel for honorable use and another for dishonorable use? And what if God, desiring to show his wrath and to make known his power, has endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction in order to make known the riches of his glory for vessels of mercy, which he prepared beforehand for glory? Even us, Paul including himself, even us whom he has called, not from the Jews only, but also from the Gentiles. As indeed he says in Hosea, those who were not my people, I shall call my people. And her who was not beloved, I shall call beloved. In the very place where it was said to them, you are not my people, there they will be called sons of the living God. picture the story there's going to be a lot of of pictures of God's judgment and consequences for choices right but you're also going to see the heart of God's compassion to the same people he delivers going to deliver this picture and we'll see a little bit more as we go on these last few verses but as we go through this this last part I just want you to realize that God also wants the people everywhere in Hosea you're going to see the judgment of God and then you're going to see his compassion The judgment of God, you're going to see his mercy. The judgment of God, you're going to see his grace. Look at verse 10. He's going to talk about the fact that even though all this is true and all this is going to happen, the covenant still stands. It says in verse 10, Yet the number of the children of Israel shall be like the sand of the sea, which cannot be measured or numbered. And in the place where it was said to them, You are not my people, It shall be said to them, children of the living God. Israel, the same place he says, you're not my people and you're going to be destroyed. He says, but one day the number of you will be greater than the sands of the seashore. And in the very place where he's talking about their destruction, he's also going to talk about their salvation. So the covenant What Hosea is telling the people, even though this is going to happen, the covenant still stands. God's promises are still there. They're not revoked. There will be a change, however, of God's relationship to them. Look at verse 11. And the children of Judah and the children of Israel shall be gathered together, and they shall appoint for themselves one head. So now they're distinct, they're separate, and one is being cut off. But God is saying, but there will be a day when you're coming back together. There will be a day when north and south will be united under one head. Anybody want to guess who that one head would be? 
You will come together under one head. Listen, they shall appoint for themselves one head, and they shall go up from the land, for great shall be the day of Jezreel. You're going to see through Hosea, these harsh names of the children are all going to get flipped. They're all going to get flipped. You have the judgment of Jezreel and the rejoicing of the day of Jezreel. Because there will be a day in the Jezreel Valley where the king is going to return and his people will look upon him whom they have pierced and they will mourn as one mourns for an only child. They will recognize there will be a day of redemption even as there is a day of judgment. And those who are called not my people shall be called my people. Who was called not his people? The Gentiles. And then what happened? They are called his people. And then Romans 11, what does it say? It says, don't boast that you've been called his people. The people that he cut off, he can graft back in. So that what Paul says will be true. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, man or woman, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free. We are all one in Christ Jesus. We see the unity that God's word calls to. So listen to how he says it. Uh, for great shall be the day of Jezreel. And then say to your brothers, you are my people. So instead of not my people, there's a day where you're going to say, you are my people. And say to your sister, you have received mercy. There's day of judgment and there is a day of grace. So there will be a day of the coming of the reunification of Israel and Judah together in one family. And then the climax of God's promises will be fulfilled. For great shall be the day of Jezreel. So there will be a lot of sections like this. I think we'll finish all the way through chapter 3 next time. Uh, And then we'll get into some some more of the prophecies. This is kind of the story part of the illustration and then we're going to have the prophetic part of the book afterwards but hopefully you'll enjoy the journey as we go along the way and be able to see the great beauty because you know we're going to see uh gomer leave for greener pastures and you're going to see her wore out and made a slave and you're going to see hosea come and rescue her And the point of the story is that's what God is doing for us. Amen? Why don't you stand with me? Let's pray. Father God, we're so thankful for the truth of your word and what your word declares to us, God, and how your word guides us and leads us. Lord, we want to uh, just put ourselves in a place where we are obedient to you. We want to follow that which you are are leading us to and recognize god that you are a god of of mercy you have given us mercy you've given us not what we deserve but you have forgiven you have saved you have granted to us your great mercy so lord i just pray that as we go through the book of hosea and we see this beautiful story of the love of god for sinners And we recognize there still is judgment, consequences, hardship that enters in to the equation. But God, there is always a way. 
Paul would write in Corinthians, there's no temptation that has overtaken man except such as is common to man. But with the temptation, he will make a mountain pass. He will give you the way of escape that you might be able to bear it. I'm going to destroy the north. But you could go south. I'm going to bring judgment. But you could repent. For it is because of his mercies that we are not consumed. Great is the love with which he has loved us. Lord, we are so thankful for who you are and what you've done. And just as we continue through the book of Hosea, I pray that you would open our eyes day by day, moment by moment, to understand these things more. And we give you all the praise for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.